0: Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Tredray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more. Exclusive opportunities.
1: Welcome to The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montesi with AFL legend Warren Treadray. Now, traders, we're just going to get straight into it. We've just wrapped up uh, the AFL draft over the last couple of nights. How did you see it? Boring. Simple as that?
0: Boring. You know, I don't want to be dismissive because. You know, many years ago, I was a pre-selection, so I never went through the draft. But it's an exciting period. You know, am I going to get picked up? Me, I was uh, finishing year twelve at the same time, and got graduation and I want to get drafted and I don't know what I should do and all these sorts of things. It's an amazing time and the excitement from uh, the last couple of days is exactly what I get out of the AFL draft. I think it's brilliant. I see what it says to, you know, the pile, the videos that do it so well, the clubs now, where they watch the video, the broadcast in terms of that side, the raw emotion from families who have gone along their journey, grandma and grandpa, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, mates from school the pile on the party afterwards, you know, and then that quickly turns to reality within 24 hours, they're training or at the back of their club, their new club. So I love that element, but I think the element of where the TV coverage can go to, we're chasing the NFL's dream and I'm not sure we're actually going to get there because our product doesn't compare and have the pathway that the NFL does, but I get the AFL builds it up and it's all about controlling the, the 12 month cycle uh, of the news cycle. And, um, you know for the players are involved and clubs are involved it's really important but you know for the fan and for the media commentator you go well we're only going to work out with this kid's any good in two three four five ten years time.
1: I do reckon you're a bit bored because you're a, an old jaded AFL bloke <laughs> and that, that does tend to happen like it's funny like when I when I talk to, to mates who've Who've been in the game for a while or been in the media for, they hate the draft stuff. To be honest, like they're so over it. You know, the the poor kids dazed in the lights of the cameras, spitting out cliches, like doing what they do. Like it is boring if you're in the industry, but if you're if you're a fan, like like the actual hardcore fans, they're obsessed with it.
0: Yep, can't disagree with that. And for me, I haven't been a fan for years because you become a player and you're living your dream and then it becomes the player in the business and then it becomes the media career and building a new career. Um, but, I, yeah, I haven't been a fan sitting in the outer since I was a kid. So I take that and agree with absolutely every point you've made. You know, you ask any footy chat, you know, I'm I'm on a few Port Adelaide fan chats, the Outer Army, and um, we are Port Adelaide, a few Facebook sites. And oh, the excitement is that... They've drafted the next Chris Judd or the Lee Matthews or Wayne Carrier. And that's great. And that is, that is absolutely beautiful. And that makes our game great. But reality is, from an actual TV interest point of view, we don't really, even the media, and I'll be completely honest, I've worked in the media for what 14 years and has been an All-Australian selector in the past. I'm flat out covering the AFL system and I don't see much of the sample and I don't certainly see see much of the under 18s unless it's broadcast and you're watching it from a news perspective but that's a full-time job in itself and a lot of people that I find in the commentary apart from a few experts who follow it 24/7 are really just making things up
1: now you're absolutely right and you know they do a quick quick google and see what they can find but but that's about it now we're going to we're going to come to the the spectacle and, and kind of the, the media business behind the draft shortly but but how do you see the draft as a concept generally, particularly the AFL, like how is the system itself performing?
0: I don't mind the concept. I think there's some improvements that need to be made, but I like the fact what the AFL has done generally across the same board, they were living a home away allowances that Brisbane and Sydney got in the 2000s. Don't worry, I'll still get a struggle with that one. Um, But the reality is, I think, The situation and how it's set up that the worst team can get the best player, I think, is fundamentally good because you take yourself back 25, 30 years, maybe 30, 35 years, is it the biggest Melbourne clubs come to South Australia, they wad their, throw their wads of cash and shake around the brand paper bags, and in one foul swoop, I think, I could be wrong, but Carlton walked away with Peter Motley, one of the best young talents in Australia, was already playing state of origin footy for South Australia and league football for Sturt, Stephen Kernahan who was already dominating state of origin footy and Glenelg Football Club winning multiple premierships. Craig Bradley, who was a Port Adelaide superstar already at that stage. And I think Mark Nayley was another one around that time. So they just come in and just grab the big fishing trawler and just take up all the young talent and move. I think it's gone a long way since then. And understandably, Carlton and Hawthorne got John Platten and all these bits and pieces. Tony McGuinness, I think, went to Footscray. I think it's, yeah, the same thing happened in Western Australia. The money talked back in the day, but and they're off, able to offer far better salaries. But I think the AFL system fundamentally is if you're the best team, you should get the effectively worst ranked player in the top. So by pick 18. Uh, in the top 18 of Australia. And if you're the worst team, you get the best pick. And I think that fundamentally shows you why teams who get their house in order and retain their young talent and play their young talent and develop their young talent can boost back up the ladder within two or three years. And I think that is good for the competition because I don't know any so-called expert who's picked the top eight leading into uh, the, the, the following season. There was always a bolter and there's always a tumbler.
1: And look, I think, you know, the, the critics of uh, you know, the socialist system, as they say, um and trying to equalise the teams. I just don't understand what the alternative could really be. What I do have questions over is, is kind of how deep we're going with, you know, future picks and points and, and all of that stuff. Like, I just get a headache just, just trying to read and follow the depth of the complexity of the system now. How do you see that?
0: Yeah, I think that's why when I talk about before losing a bit of interest is because I don't live it. You know, we've spoken to Jason Cripps, Port Adelaide's list manager, on this podcast and we've also spoken to justin Rodsky, who's the ceo of the melbourne storm and he had interesting chaps around it because the nrl's model is and the penrith panthers the reigning premiers from the nrl they've got a wonderful junior development program where they really work over their local zone and that's what the sample used to be that's what you know, the, the VFL used to have, the Western Australian Footy League used to have, and, and Sanford Western Australian Footy League still have that to promote in their zones in their areas. But the NFL, uh, the NRL still rolls with that. And and that has been wonderfully successful for the Penrith Panthers because their junior development is wonderful. And that's probably why I think Justin said at the time that they'd be unlikely to go to a draft period. But uh, fundamentally too, um, what we're seeing is probably a more of a national competition and, um, with the AFL significantly, with South Australia and Western Australia represented in the AFL, not in the NRL. Um, So is that point system too difficult? I just think it's putting a value. And at the end of the day, it's not foolproof because we could have the greatest player of all time be this year's number one draft pick in 15 years' time. right, next year's number one draft pick is exactly the same points, but might not be half the player. So the points aren't as a foolproof anyway. That is more just a guide to to understand and put value um, on every draft pick, not necessarily the talent which they take in that time. So I think there needs to be a lot of stuff fixed up. I think the father-son rule needs to be fixed up. I know everyone got scared when Joe Danaher went, I think, a and picked Andrew Essendon and was arguably the best player in the comp. You go back many years and Geelong, build a dynasty off the back of Scarlett, Hawkins, uh, the two ablets who were picked up in that father-son period that you also throw in. They got Bartell from an early draft pick. They also did really well uh, with a couple others. Joel Selwood was a classic. And they fundamentally built a dynasty off the back of that. But you know what I say? I say it's good luck. I say it's good luck to them because the likelihood is, you know, I think there's more, the last time I checked, and that's not something I check very often, Monty, but there are more females born than there are males every year, right? So we talk about AFL, men's football. So the likelihood is you're less than, if a former star has a kid it's less likely that it's going to be a male than it is a female. Um, and then to follow in dad's footsteps, so to speak. And then if that kid actually decides to play AFL, and then if that kid actually decides to be good enough to pursue AFL, right, with all the challenges in life, and then if they are able to perform well enough to be not even inside the top hundred, you're going to be really inside the top 50. So if the fact that Geelong in in a couple of years got Scarlett, Hawkins and two ablets, well, good on them. And, I think one thing missing from football nowadays, and we talk about points, talk about business, talk about trading, live trading, we're missing a bit of nostalgia for Johnny Smith and Betty Smith who sit on the outer at the MCG or Optus Stadium or the Gabba or, you know, Metricon Stadium up on the Gold Coast. Imagine if one of your club's greatest players who is a father-son or a past player who's been a great servant, son could automatically go to your club just because they're a father-son. I think that would be wonderful, Yeah. You know? I don't necessarily have to agree to that, but I think that would be absolutely wonderful. Why, why should Ashcroft have to give up? Ashcroft, yeah, you know, Brisbane Lions have to give up a heap for Ashcroft or, you know, you know, Fletcher. Their dads were legends at their footy club. They should just arrive there. And you know what? If that's just potluck, that's just unbelievable potluck. You know what I mean? I just think if you remove that element of having a discount because they're a father-son, sure, keep the academy points, discounts and all that because you develop that kid and you should be rewarded for that. But the father-son element AFL, everything's gone business. And I know this podcast's about business, but I think one element that's not business is a father-son or a father-daughter rule because that's what brings people's connection. Sports about connection.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I think your point that's like irrespective of all of this, so much still has to go right for for this father-son, father-daughter thing to come off unless, you know, you've got academy programs, unless clubs start introducing uh, breeding programs. I mean, it sounds a bit crude. (laughs) Um, but, you know, you're right. I think I, I love the, the nostalgia aspect about it, no, like particularly because so much still has to go right. Like you can't manufacture father-son, father-daughter um, results. You just can't. So I'm with, I'm with you on that one, mate.
0: Yep. And look at Joe Danaher. Joe Danaher was an all-Australian star of the comp when he won the best and fairest of the Bombers, had some injuries, and he's no longer there. You know, I mean? He, he's now decided to go yep. on. So nothing is foolproof, but the fact that he got drafted to the footy club of his dad, I, I think there's nothing better than that. And I think if we all took our cap off and go, you know, we spoke, spoke to Kuda last week on the big deal. Imagine Kuda's son was, you know, he said his sons are playing a bit of footy, but not hugely involved in it or whatever, or starting to get some interest. But imagine his son was a superstar of the comp, but he ends up at Collingwood. I don't know. Me just thinks he should be a maybe not wearing a number forty three, but I love the fact that he could end up at Carlton or Michael Voss's son to end up at Brisbane like Dad played at. You know, Matthew Pavlich's son to, and uh, I'm sure half these kids, have, these guys, have even got sons, but or daughter could end up at Fremantle or is he end up at West Coast? Warren Tredrea's kid at Adelaide? Oh she is I don't want to dream about that. But if Port, if he wanted to go to Port and he's a mad Port fan, but you know, Adelaide picked him up because Port didn't want him. Well, that's great, but. I think the nostalgia says we should have a little bit of flow through. The, and there'd be nothing like, you know, the Sergio Silvani, Steven Silvani, Jack Silvani. That just sits right with me.
1: I think the other issue uh, on on the draft, which is, which is an interesting one, if we all just kind of stepped back and looked at the draft and said, is it actually fair on players? Because what I always find interesting about uh, professional sport and sports business is, A lot of the rules and the systems don't actually stack up in the real world. No. For example, from a workplace perspective, the draft would likely be considered restraint of trade, Like you just couldn't, you couldn't go into a professional world and say, we're going to create a draft and, you know, you're a a lawyer graduate and we're going to put you into this law firm and you, you're going to go into this law firm. It just wouldn't stack up. But we have this obviously in the, in the sporting world. And even from what you read, like it would likely be a restraint of trade, but the thing is it hasn't been tested in court. And, and from what I've been reading is the test would be around, is it reasonable? Because the thing with sport and, and from what I understand, the courts recognize that sport is unique and there is this need to keep uh, leagues competitive to kind of uphold the, the value of competition. So, so the courts do recognise that, but it would be interesting if this kind of thing ended up in the courts um, because the draft in itself, um, yeah, is interesting from a restraint of trade perspective.
0: Well, we've already seen that, Monty, in in soccer when um, Bossman, the player, it's now the Bossman free transfer because it is a restrained of trade. But the thing is, the competition gets around it because you're signing up to their rules, so you're a willing participant. Um, yeah. But we've seen it in soccer where... You know, people wouldn't, at the end of their contract, they wouldn't clear someone. So all of a sudden it took the... Now, now is the Boston uh, free transfer where players who are out of contract effectively can go to the club of their own choice um, with no transfer fee to be paid. So effectively their lease is up. So, mm. and this is, it gets me further into the AFL system. I think the free agency compensation is ridiculous because... Yeah, you, if effectively you are a business, you've leased this business, the player, the player has fulfilled their four year lease, and at the end, their lease is up. Why should you get compensation for losing a player who is out of contract? So for me, it's no different to a, a you know, you're, you're leasing a property for a business, you use that mm-hmm. for four or five years. At the end of that lease, the, the freehold owner doesn't go, oh, here's your money for me kicking you out as compensation. No, your lease was up. You know, and, and this is where I, I think particularly it took, as you said, it took someone, over in European soccer, to challenge the transfer. Now, anyone who's out of contract, and this is what's happened with Cristiano Ronaldo, his contract has been terminated for a breach of contract. He is now free to go, and there'll be no payment to Manchester United for him to go. He's out of contract. So I think that would be an interesting one, but I think it'd be the last thing the AFL clubs and the competition want, and you'd certainly yeah. be the black sheep of the crew if you were to challenge it. But certainly those, those fundamental rights are there, but that's where they pretty much a pretty governed system. Where they yeah. you sign up to their system and you want to be drafted in their system, you got to you run and operate by the rules of their system.
1: That's right. They they operate as their own little ecosystem until something happens and someone is upset or wants to challenge it. That ends up in court, and that's where you see the really interesting space of where the the sporting ecosystems end up colliding with the um, the real world ecosystems, and that's when things can be completely disrupted.
0: And check out uh, the Big Deal chat last week with uh, Anthony Kudafidis, which is at www.thebigdeal.au. He went through exactly this, but not from a playing point of view, from a boot deal point of view. He signed with Adidas, was a long-term contracted player to wear Adidas boots. The club was signed with Adidas. That contract was out. They got more money and a better deal at Nike, expected him to transfer over, but he had an an enforcing contract. And that was a case where, as Kuda mentioned, um, It was a great insight he gave to us on the big deal because he talked about how that opened the floodgates for all sporting brands to go and poach players. So it it wasn't a necessity that Wayne Carey had to stay with Nike, even though he did, when they were sponsored by Nike, you know, I remember Feeler came into the market pretty big and went after the likes of Glen Archer at North Melbourne, whose Guernsey and apparel sponsorship with the club was Nike. So um, that's a smaller version of it, but it'd take a a pretty headstrong and someone who's got some intestinal fortitude to take on the AFL and challenge the, uh, uh, I guess, the contract rights, because I think the system's pretty good. It's pretty good.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, it has been tested. I mean, it was slightly different, but, if you're going to go back a bit, there was the NRL internal draft, which was floated, I think, back in 1991. And it was obviously a bit, bit of a, a different circumstance where, where they tried to create this system where once your contract expired, you then went into the draft and you just have to play for whoever picked you. So you can see that's actually, that's pretty harsh. Like imagine your contract expires and you just have to lob into some draft and just you just go wherever. So obviously players players were fuming at the time, and that ended up being tested in court and found to be a restraint of trade. So, you know, sometimes this stuff does end up in the courts and it'd certainly be interesting if it happened again.
0: Yeah, and also too, if we look at where the AFL has gone from a draft perspective, if you couldn't get a trade done, you then would put a price on your head and you go through the preseason draft. So whilst clubs still threaten a little bit of the preseason draft, they don't want to use it because they know that if they Sound sadly, screw over the bombers and get a player in. Whoever say so Collingwood do a deal and threaten an Essendon player walk into the preseason draft, get their price, get him for nothing. They know that at some stage they're going to have to do business with a third party or directly with the bombers to get a deal done, and it just won't happen. So I think there's a lot of a lot better good faith than there was back then, and as we're seeing, a hell of a lot more trades are getting done than previously. And also the stage where clubs are now moving players a year out from free agency because they want to cash in and get a better deal for themselves. So they're becoming smarter getting deals done and and players under contract, that only protects the player under contract. It doesn't really protect the club. All it does is help the club lift up the compensation slightly more because really what's it worth? The player do not want to play and don't want to be there. You don't want someone in your system like that. Mm,
1: That's right. I mean, the other one that's Always a talking point in South Australia, but it seems like that the, our mates in Melbourne have only just discovered it. The old go-home factor. It's, uh, yeah. it's always been a big issue for us in, in SA, but geez, when guys in Melbourne start losing players the other way, all of a sudden, oh yeah, well, what's happening with this go-home factor and how are we going to deal with it? So it's obviously been pretty, um, pretty big with the Horn Francis stuff and quite a few other examples.
0: Jackson's the other one the two big go home factors this year were a Western Australian kid going home Jackson from Melbourne and then Horn Francis to Port Adelaide from North Melbourne
1: yeah so that hence why it's making headlines I mean how do you see it obviously the what's interesting is that the different markets it is very different from a Victorian perspective with with multiple clubs versus the SA or or WA market where the um, where things are much tighter with just a couple of clubs
0: yeah well I think it's what I experienced personally was if I wanted to make every decision around dollars, I would have gone to Collingwood in 2000 when I could have gone to the preseason draft and got there. I had met at Eddie McGuire's house. I got a contract that would have been – Port Adelaide didn't quite get close to matching but could have. So in terms of on-field they can offer, but I can tell you the pie in the off-field endorsements is if you're pulling 150000 off the field in Adelaide, you're doing pretty well, 200000 maybe. Some might get 300000 if they're in with a sponsor who was very generous. In Melbourne, some blokes were earning, and this is early 2000s, and I know because a management group may or may not have emailed the wrong email to a teammate of mine who was managed by the same player was earning 800000 on the field and 800000 off the field, so that the gap can be half a million plus off the field in Melbourne. It is a lot more commercial dollars. It's also a situation with the Sydney Swans. AFL is not front and centre in Sydney. But Sydney are a very good product. And if it, a marketer wants to get involved in the AFL system, there's nothing better than having someone that can be promoted in Sydney, like an Adam Goods or a Barry Hall or a Isaac Heaney at the moment, uh, Callum Mills, but also can be marketable in Victoria. So there is an element that the reason why the Sydney Swans major sponsorships are sought after is because of that product value. Um, so I think it's all great to suggest that, oh, the go-home factor is an issue. I think the South Australian, Western Australian clubs who drafted young Victorian kids many years ago were the ones who got smashed the most. you know. And now the Victorians are going, well, you have take the risk on a South Australian young kid. I don't think the go-home factor, I think Jason Cripps said in our chat on the big deal uh, about a month or so ago, that the go-home factor was like 10%. If you work out mm-hmm. how many players actually work out, you know, they talk about the 50% strike rate for the num- uh, first round of the draft, it's not really a go-home factor, you know. And if it does, you you get compensated quite well. I think North got co- compensated quite well. But North would also look, have to look in the mirror and go, there anything we could have done a lot better over the journey too. So um, I think it is a little hypocritical for Victorian clubs to go, oh, my God, now it's an issue. It's been an issue for 20 years for interstate clubs. Look at what Brisbane hacked. Look at what GWS did. GWS. There is a gun team you can pick for players who used to be at GWS. Taylor Adams, Collingwood superstar. Adam Trelaw, now the Western Bulldogs, formerly Collingwood. Hoskin Elliott is another good player who is at GWS. We can go through. Tom Boyd won a premiership at the Bulldogs, who is ex GWS. You can pick a list. Scully, you know, went up there, then left, came back. you know, the, the list is endless how they've just been. They've been pillaged from a uh, situation of, you know, draft picks. Gold Coast, they've been pillaged from everyone. You know, they've left pretty much everyone. Dion Prestia, Tom Lynch, Gary Ablett, they've all left. So I'm not sure the Victorian clubs can cry poor on that.
1: No, and you almost have to laugh. You know, they're, they're talking about, oh, should should draftees have to sign um, initially with a, with a three-year deal? Come on. Like guys,
0: that's not going to prevent Jason Horn Francis. No, <laughs> like, and even Jackson, who leaves Melbourne, he leaves giving reasonable service and winning a premiership. So the reality is, you got to get your house in order before you can sit and whinge about anything. And and then we go further too. The issue that I want to take up too is, and we talked about GWS. This is what caught them out in their salary cap troubles: is they've overpaid young players, and, and the fact that there's reporting around now. Uh, anyone who knows knows that first round. Pick is about 150 grand base, and then you get match payments. So, when they have a minimum two year deal, which we were talking about, um, potentially moving it to three, there's some players who are have just haven't proven themselves now demanding 400,000 a year to re sign in their third year of football. Like, that is dead set embarrassing. I get it if you're a Connor Rosie or a Sam Walsh or a star of the comp who's come out, uh, Anderson up at the Gold Coast. Those blokes are worth more than that because they're in their teams. Best five players, higher. So that's fine. But when you're a player who's not even worked out whether you're that good at the moment or whether you're going to make it, demanding four hundred thousand—that's what blows up salary caps. And that's not—it's not the million-dollar deals of the players who perform every week. It's the players that you're overpaying who aren't necessarily in your best twenty-two. And that is a massive challenge. At four hundred thousand for a player in his third season of footy who might have played less than ten games—jeez, it's embarrassing.
1: Who's driving that? Who's driving those? those big contracts and numbers, is it managers or is it the players themselves who, you know, let's be honest, it's a new generation of player coming through where um, they're, they're born into a professional game. They're used to seeing the big numbers. They they don't have the loyalty that, the, that previous generations have had to certain clubs or whatever. What, what do you think it is? Uh,
0: I would have said it's certainly managers leveraging the best deal for their client, but I'm not here to blame managers because they're doing a role. Right? And I think they do a wonderful role for their players. And not all of them roll with, it's an auction every time. You know? In the real estate theory, it's not demanding the extra $1,000 out of them or we're, we're threatening them to leave. No, most go in with good intention to do the deal. There are some, some of those uh, cowboys that operate that way. I think it's clubs from outside offering ridiculous money to poach players. So I think they're all to blame. But I also think, too, the modern player is certainly different to the player when I grew up. Yeah, you know, the gener- Generation X to Generation Y is very, very different. You know, I saw it in my time at Port Adelaide where we wouldn't talk for two years and keep your head down and just train hard to get a chance. And once you played 50 games, then you could talk and contribute to meetings. Now you've got blokes who are telling you, who, you know, they're as good as Jason Ackermanis was or, you know, I'm a clearance player like Scotty West or, you know, I play like Wayne Kerr in a bit like... Well, that's great, but they come in and act like that too. You know, and an element of that is really, really good to say, hey, they're driven, they're a lot more professional than the players when they first come in when I was playing. But on the other side too is you've got to also get your runs on the board too. And, and it's not about now, hey, what your employer can do for you. It's you earning the trust of your employer and to prove that you are willing to get that money. I've never met a situation where someone gets compensated for not working hard and everyone goes, oh, he's lucky. Well, no, no, he has busted his butt, he's performed on the footy field and you get what you get. You now everyone talks about, oh yeah, Dustin Martin, oh is he overpaid or someone else overpaid. Yeah, there are elements of that. But the other part is they've generally got the runs on the board. The ones I struggle with, the ones that don't have the runs on the board, but they also got their hand out very quickly.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. you know, and we talk you were talking about guys that, you know, they come into the game with more confidence and um, you know, they're, they're talking up who they can be and and, and what have you. And I mean, there's a bit of that uh, Australian tall poppy syndrome as well, where it's like if if you've got a young bloke that comes out and, you know, he's he's got a bit of, a, you know, a different brand and a different attitude and a bit of confidence. Really, like part of me says we should be celebrating guys like that as well um, because, you know, the other part of me is like, man, footy players can be so vanilla. Athletes yep. can be so boring so we can't have it both ways you know this this is one of the challenges we're the first to say man like and and we we were talking about it off the top geez the draft is boring these kids you know everyone's spitting out cliches and and then the 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 one kid with the mullet and the flashy hair and the boots comes up and talks up a big game and, and we're we're the first to shut him down so i don't know what's the balance there
0: oh i think the balance is if you can back it up because everyone imagine if jason akamanis wasn't a superstar and he was rolling with handstand. That's why people bring you down because you put your head up, and if you haven't performed, they'll knock it off. Yeah. You know, I think it's very quick.
1: It's kind of kind of like those 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 Muppets that after they kick a goal, you know, they put the the phone to their ear and
0: yeah. But those blokes can back it up. Not anymore. <laughs> Not long after that, I busted my knee and I couldn't do it. But um, uh, Essendon picked. Uh, sorry, Essendon were talking about him, but um, a young kid from South Australia who got picked up, uh, young Filippo comes from a great footballing South Australian footballing family, Matthias uh, uh, Filippo. He's gone to St Kilda. He has he talked up. He has talked about the love for footy. He's talked about confidence. He's got some bravado about where he goes. No problem with that. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I know the family. I know I played with his dad, Sam, for a period of time. And I know his uncle, Michael, a little bit. And his father, grandfather, was uh, a, a local star in the sample. So... They come from a pretty hard upbringing family. They work hard. They're really disciplined. They do the right thing and good on him. I think he's going to be a great young player and he's talking it up. That's great. I think he's added something to it, but certainly the way he plays his footy, you can back it up. So I've got no problem about that. That's if after five years, you're still talking that way and you're not performing, then it's like anything. Yeah, people aren't going to tell you to suck eggs if you don't know how to suck eggs. You know what I mean? Like, you've got, you got, you got to
1: back it up. Now, circling back around to some of your comments off the top, we're talking about the show behind the AFL draft. And, you know, the AFL is really trying to go hard and turning it into this spectacle. And, um, you know, we've got it spread over two nights. And the, the live feed and the televising and whatever it takes, you know, they're really trying to pump up the draft into a media asset. How do you feel about that?
0: I like how they're trying to do it. I think the biggest issue the AFL will face from a TV perspective is keeping the audience engaged. I think it goes too long. I know they've now spread it over two nights. I get they're trying to bring back the former starter, the Guernsey and the whole lot. They're trying to copy the NFL. The difference the NFL has over the AFL is they have a system below the NFL that is arguably bigger from a, a buy-in point of view. So if a big American college has their number one quarterback get drafted or picked up by, I don't know, Buffalo Bills, there is a connection with the Buffalo Bills with that massive college that has some cases 60, 70, 80,000 at a home game. So there is a real alumni connection to these colleges where people who might not ever have played a game of football, NFL football, right, American football, but they've gone on to study at that college and have that affiliation forever and as long as they're on the earth the difference here is we've got kids who are out of school getting drafted and that is the total different situation where the AFL doesn't have a massive system underneath these kids are playing school football under 18 football getting drafted so the interest level is at the top level the AFL whereas the NFL the interest level is at the top level the NFL but also the college system which is arguably as big a beast in some ways as the NFL is so I think the and that's why their their draft day goes on fully uh, broadcast by TV over three or four days and it's like a festival. The AFL's chasing it, but they won't get anywhere near it.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think you know when you've got a draft and and all the fans they know the players. I mean that that's huge. You know they're invested in these players before they even get to the NFL. Like that's that's massive. So so you're right. I think. Um, you know the the AFL would really need to build interest at that grass grassroots under 18s level to even come close to what they're trying to do there
0: yep agree and and that's the it's a lot that's a slow burn, and the difference is too we're talking how many hundred million people in America 300 they're ten times bigger than us yeah, more than ten times bigger than us so I, I get why the AFL's doing it the broadcast you know you know the cricket starts this week so we're in a situation now. Test match cricket season, and we're still talking about the AFL. That's exactly what the AFL want. It's the worst thing cricket want. So, but I think there's a, there's a long way to go towards getting them in here that, and they've got to, I think, cut it down, make it quicker, as opposed to stretch it out and make it longer, because you've got to keep people
1: interested. That's it. Now, if you've got any burning questions or talking points, hit us up at www.thebigdeal.au. And we'll bring them up in our next Talk Back with Treaders episode. Thanks for tuning in this week. Make sure you subscribe to the show and continue to spread the word as we tackle the business of sport here and around the world. Thanks, Treaders.
0: Thanks, Moddy. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au